Well, good morning, everyone. Are you enjoying the weather this morning? Oh, yes. Uh, we got, we got a close to 200 people down at the Pines Family Camp uh, for Willow Park Church. And I was down there preaching Friday and Saturday. And what a lovely, lovely uh, time they're all having together and enjoying themselves. It is, uh, it is absolutely wonderful. And uh, I was there on the Friday to say goodbye to the Junior Ark. And they uh, thank you for your prayers. I know you've been praying for all of our kids and praying for Junior Ark. And it is remarkable to see um, just so many young people being touched by the power of God. On the Thursday night, uh, the sesh pit was full of teenagers. Those are the ones, I guess... uh, Grade, grade six, seven, eight, and nine. And uh, they were worshiping the Lord. And they, they gathered together, I guess, about eight o'clock in the evening once the mosquitoes have carried off the children that they want to eat. And, and they were there and they were uh, worshiping the Lord. And come 12 o'clock at night, they were still worshiping the Lord. Isn't that good? Yeah. We prayed. We prayed for revival. And uh, we prayed for our, our kids to get on fire for Jesus. So now Monday we can pray again, can't we? Because now we've got the senior highs coming. Uh, and there, uh, over 100 of them are going and they're going down there. So let's pray for that. Let's believe for that. Let's, let's pray. We also prayed that nobody would be injured and go to hospital. So uh, hallelujah. Well, nobody went to hospital. Uh, so that's good. <laughs> There might have been some injuries. Hey. Paintball is always a problem, isn't it? Uh, those welts. But, uh, but kids love to get hit by a paintball. Um, so um, uh, there we go. So that's good. And, and our prayers have been answered. And also I hear Garden Lake had a terrific week and God was at work. So let's keep praying for Garden. Let's pray for Maple Springs. Let's pray for... Uh, Green Bay, Uh, let's pray that up and down this valley, the power of the Holy Spirit will be at work and will will minister. So we are continuing our series in the Jesus Code. This is session number three before we break out of Genesis and we join, well, we actually won't be breaking out of Genesis for a little bit because we've got to deal uh, with a number of, uh, of other uh, issues and, and, and covenants. We're going to be traveling towards the Abrahamic covenant, and then we're going to be traveling uh, towards the Mosaic, and then we're going to the Divinic, and then the New Testament, and then the coming of all that is taking place when God will press finally the uh, reboot button, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and you and I are going to be part of that new heavens and that new earth. And that we have a hope. And the reason we're doing this story, this, this uh, series, is although we're digging deep, and if you've missed the previous teaching, we want to encourage you to step in and go for the uh, teaching and listen to it. Because it's part of a ten-part series that I believe will change the way that you read the Bible. 
that when you understand the narrative from Genesis to Revelation, it changes our way and it changes our belief and it changes that we're part not just of a small story, but we're part of God's great plan, God's great purpose. And when we understand God's great plan and we understand God's great purpose, what happens is our view of God changes. What happens is we choose to be holy because when you know that God's in charge, there's no messing around in your Christian faith anymore. When you know that God created the heavens and the earth at the beginning and will reset all things at the end, that should wake us up as Christians and go, I've got to stop messing around. I want to live completely for Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're doing it, because it changes the way. We look at the world. We know that God's got the world in his hands. It changes the way that we view life because as a church, we cannot compromise the message of the Bible. We cannot compromise the message of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And God's great rescue mission started in Genesis and its completion will happen at the last chapter of Revelation. But the problem is that so often that we're not reading the way that we should. I remember picking up one of my little daughters from, from preschool. She jumped in the car and she's carrying her Dora the Explorer bag. Oh, yeah. Isn't it amazing how our, yeah, how, what you can get in those bags? I was going to go somewhere else then. Amazing what my wife can get in her handbag. And, and she, like, the more handbags I buy her, the bigger ones, they just, she just gets more in there, like sleeping bags and toasters. Uh, and my little daughter jumped out, and she had a Dora Explorer bag ready, and she says, Daddy, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to the park, a little park called Mary Stevens. So we went to the park and sat by the bandstand. And we got us a little sandwich out and she sat there and she started to chew on a little cucumber sandwich which she had made. And she looked at me and then she started emptying her Dora Explorer bag. Of course, her precious items were brought out. First of all, My Little Pony appeared. Do you remember those? The most boring toy in the world. Then, but my, my girls loved them. We had loads of them. It was whole herds of My Little Pony. I, I was trampled regularly. And then, and then came out, um, you know, Ariel from Mermaid. She came out. Oh, revival's happening there with the mermaid. <laughs> came out. And then, and then lots of dangly bits and sparkly things and so on. And then to my surprise, she pulled out a big brown Bible. And she grabbed hold of it, and she started to read it. And her eyes are going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And as her eyes are going backwards and forwards, I'm watching her doing this, and she's reading it, and she's reading it. And then she stops, and then she goes, Amen. (laughs) Which was very impressive, because at that age, she couldn't even read. Um, I was completely impressed. And then she lugged up, uh, we always went to that spot because there was an ice cream truck just a hundred yards away, and then she went, Amen, ice cream. <laughs> and I found that so amusing and so lovely, and yet she hadn't got a clue what she was reading. 
because she couldn't read. And the danger is that we can live our lives and we can look right, we can act right, we're doing the right things, and we go, amen, where's the ice cream truck? Where's the next thing? And we don't actually understand how the beauty and the dynamic of this book, the Bible, is stitched together and brought together. So we understand from last week, and we understand from the week before, that we spoke about the fall. And there the human race was tempted. There Adam and Eve were faced with that temptation. And of course God had warned them. God had warned them. And you notice something throughout scripture. One thing I want to notice in the grand story is that God always warns his people. Because God is always warning And he warned them, but they chose to disobey, and the lights went off. And I reminded you that God is universal, that God is love, and that all love comes from God. And the reason that we have free will is because of God's love, because love can only operate within free will, right? You know that in a marriage. I can't engage in my marriage unless it's a free will relationship of love. I can't program my wife to be exactly how I would like her to be. Right. And I ask myself, why not? But God says, no, you can't do that. Because it's to do with free will. And of course then the serpent came. Under no doubt, understand Satan came. And first of all, he always creates doubt to what God has said. Secondly, he always diverts us away from God's goodness. And thirdly, he always questions what God warns us about and says, did God really say that? And at that moment, brokenness came into the world. A brokenness psychologically that we lost the sense of who we truly were as children of God. A brokenness spiritually that we lost that closeness within the garden and that ability to eat and live forever. And we lost it relationship because everybody started blaming everybody else, including blaming God. And then, of course, God spoke those words of which Pastor Glenn spoke of so powerfully last week about that, that from the woman's seed would come one who is, would crush the serpent's head, would crush evil. And I want to pick up from that point because the truth is, is that God's ultimate goal within this world is that Jesus Christ is the greatest crusher. He comes to crush darkness. He comes to crush injustice. He comes to crush sin. He comes to crush death. He is the one, the seed of the woman that came into the world to crush the evil in the world. And so when you look at the very end of the book, you discover that that prophetic word about the seed and the crusher is that he comes to change everything and there is the one. And I love that, that idea that Jesus is the crusher, that he crushes darkness. And if you're in a battle, if you're struggling with evil in your life, if you're struggling with sin and death, if you're struggling in your life, stop pretending and looking for the ice cream van and start to wake up to what God has called called you to do in this world. But let's, what did God do about evil then? Well, first of all, God limited how much we would have to suffer with evil. 
Let's sign at this verse. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden. Let's pick up right here and let's notice a number of things. First of all, we know that Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden. And that banishment took place. Now often, then we hear the words, let's not let them eat from the Tree of Life. What does this mean? I banish you and one of the results of sin was not only psychological alienation, not only spiritual, not only relational, not only uh, problems in childbirth, not only to do with the land and the soil was going to be cursed and you had to work, but also death. You see, God chose to say that you cannot now live forever. Why? Because You imagine human beings that are fallen, that are broken, that are evil, that live forever. So I want to turn that on its side and suggest to you that the very act of death is an act of grace. Because if we lived eternally, but as broken, sinful creatures, imagine what we would do. There is an end to evil, and one of those ends is, of course, is death. And when we live life and we see the evil in the world and we see the injustice and you experience and see the pain in the world, there is a point where the evil can so overwhelm you that even you long to be at home with the Lord because of the evil that is on this planet. And we die and we are transformed and we are in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So even in Death, God is being merciful and being loving because you imagine a Hitler living forever. You imagine Alexander the Great living forever. And you might like Alexander the Great, but if you talk to the Iraqis and the Iranians historically, Alexander in their language means Satan because of the amount of people that he killed. You imagine these people, Pol Pot, all of these horrific people living forever. And God said, no, they will not live forever. But let me tell you one other thing from this. What we know is that God did not want to take away fellowship. I say that again. Just because they were out of the garden did not mean that the human beings could not enjoy fellowship and relationship with God. They could have fellowship. How could they have fellowship? They could have fellowship with God through the sacrificial system. Instantly, animals were killed and they were clothed. Instantly, we know that Abel came and he sacrificed the Lord and the Lord was pleased with Abel and blessed with his sacrifice and encouraged with it. See, God didn't want to take away fellowship and that closeness, and yet it had it all changed now because God knew that the human race had a problem and sin had entered the world, but God, through the sacrificial system, allowed people still to commune with him and to be close to him, and Abel was close with him. Enoch walked with God in this period, seven generations on actually, walked with with God, and in fact, he was so close to God for 300 years, it said that he didn't die, but he was taken up to the glory of God. So people had a relationship with God and knew God in this period. 
But of course, what he did with evil, first of all, he introduced death so that we would not continually, each generation could choose to change. Each generation has a chance to believe. Each generation has a moment. God rid, got rid the earth of all evil people, or did he? Well, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the flood. But did the flood get rid of evil? Actually, it didn't, did it? But it, God looked at this. We saw that from the line of, uh, we saw Abel murdered by Cain. And when we saw Abel murdered by, by Cain, then there was the line of Cain. Genesis chapter 4 is the line of Cain. It's the genealogy. It's laid out there. If you like, it's the line of the seed of Satan. It's the line of death and pain and problems. And then a third son came from Abraham, from Adam and Eve, Seth. And that is chapter 5. And that is the line, a line of blessing. And what is interesting that you see this juxtaposition is that, is that you see at the seventh generation, you have Enoch who walks with God, and the seventh generation of Cain's, you have Amalek who murders a young man and is cursed 72 times 72, he says, because he's a murderer. And we see what Genesis is doing is painting a picture that there is righteousness can live, that God is present, that people can still connect to God, and yet there is the sinful seed of Satan that continues in the heart of man, that continues to bring ruin, and this spirals out of control until we get the days before Noah came and preached, and as we get those days before, we see that the world is given over to violence and darkness and the most heinous of activities. And for generation, God looks and God grieves. And the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw this, and God grieved. God saw it, and he saw the pain. God saw the evil that had exploded, and he saw this pain and this greed. Now, what is this really all about? So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, for I am grieved. God always grieves over sin. God always grieves over evil. God wants to stop evil. God grieves over evil. He sees the darkness in the world and he is broken by this grieving, by this pain. For I am grieved that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Don't you love that? That even in the midst of great darkness, there are men and women and families that find favor in the sight of the Lord. 
that there are Seths that find favor, that there are Enoch's that walk with God for 300 years and find blessing, that there are Noah's that stand out in society and declare, and God looks at them and he sees, I find this family righteous. What does this tell us? It tells us it matters the way that you and I live. It matters about the things that we do. As we look back into ancient prehistoric history as you like, as we look, as as theologians call it, we look at this era and we look at it and try and understand it, we have to understand the mega themes. And what is the mega themes coming out? Well, first of all, the mega theme is that God always wants fellowship. Second, the mega theme is this, so never doubt it. Second is that God grieves over mankind's darkness, mankind's sin, and mankind's evil. And thirdly, the mega theme. And the Lord smelled after the flood, and of course, there came another offering. And the Lord smelled the pleasant aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Now, you may have not noticed something here in two verses. Genesis chapter 6, 5, and Genesis 8, 21 gives you the absolute truth of what's going on in this story beyond animals two by twos and and doves and arcs and so on. You can understand it because there's a Hebrew approach to writing called an incluso, which is a bracket that takes place in Hebrew writing that says, now a bracket is here, a bracket is here, and this is what the message of this section is all about. So what's the bracket? Well, if we go back for a moment... The bracket begins here. And the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination, again, of thought of his heart was only evil. There's the bracket. There's the incluso. There is the the device that Hebrew writers would use in the ancient world. And then you push it forward and you see exactly the same thing that it is said that even though every inclination of the human heart is what? Is evil from childhood. So what is the real problem in the message here? What is the author trying to tell us? Moses, what is he trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that the problem isn't just Satan, but actually the problem is the human heart. And when God redeems humanity, and God works with a human being, what God does, he deals with our heart. He's looking for who we are. He's looking for our heart. And the human heart has the capacity to be absolutely evil and vile and disgusting and and horrible. And the human heart has the ability to bless and to be renewed and to be changed. And God is always after your heart and my heart. He's always wants to be. And the issue of the flood is about the heart. 
It's about that their hearts were corrupted and God couldn't find a righteous heart except for the family of Noah. And it's always about the heart, friends, right the way from the beginning of the story to the end when Jesus says, you know, you know a man by his heart and where his treasure is, that's where his heart is. And God seeks your heart. And if we don't offer our hearts and our lives over to God, we become corrupt, we become dark, but it's about giving our hearts over. So it's an inclusion, a bracket in the text of the ancient Hebrew that tells us that God's concerned because Satan wasn't the only problem, so was the human heart. Now hold that point, so God built a ark. So hold that in your mind because we're going to land this at some point today by five o'clock. God used judgment to slow down the spread of evil. So yes, he used the flood and that was the flood about. It was to slow down the spread of evil. God used the story, of course, of the Tower of Babel. What did he do to slow down the evil? He gave languages so that people could be spread out and speak their own language because when global mission happens, language by language by language, people give their lives to Jesus Christ. Or the kingdom of God comes into nations and into languages. And God was always concerned about blessing nations in the Abrahamic covenant. But he, he, he slowed them down. He did that. So God wants to slow down judgment. He wants to slow down evil. He wants to slow down darkness. Now can I say that we participate in this slowing down of evil today by being the children of God, by being a praying people, by being a people that are found on the watchtowers, by being a people that do spiritual warfare, by being a people that believe in the power of prayer. And I believe what holds back darkness in the world is a vibrant church in the world that believes in the power of prayer and the name of Jesus and the work of the cross. And we are important. People may want to get rid of the church. People may want to tax the church. I was following a tweeting after this fine and I haven't heard the news report, but anyway, this fine that came up. I was reading all the shocking tweets coming up you know, about churches and they're useless and they're no good and they're a waste of space. I mean, it was not a good thing for a pastor to read. And, and what people think of us and all of this, but let me tell you something, that when we stand as the true church and we are on fire for Jesus and we pray, our presence holds back the evil in this world. We hold it back. We keep believing. And he goes right the way back to this point where God uses judgment and circumstances to slow down the spread of evil. And maybe that's something we should pray about. Lord, slow down the spread of evil. There are seven points to this sermon. Shall we pray for the pastor? God, this is the great point. This is where I want to land. Then I can circle back to other. God patiently implores people to repent and turn from evil. 
So we know that they fell and death entered, but they still wanted fellowship. We know that he was searching for good hearts, but all he saw were corrupt hearts. And there he set the reset button on the ancient world with the flood. And that's God calling right now. <laughs> it's awesome, isn't it? Please, whoever you are, I can't see because of the lights. I'm just blessed that you're here. But can I remind all of you to turn your phones off immediately? Um, on silent, I should say. God patiently implores people to repent and turn from evil. So he slows judgment down and evil by his strategy. He looks at the heart of humanity and he knows the problems, the heart, not just Satan. And then he wants fellowship with us, going backwards. But this, but he patiently implores people to repent. We know that Noah's building the ark, that the Bible in the New Testament calls Noah the herald of good news. Now, if somebody's building an ark and you're all talking the same language and for what they've reckoned for over a hundred years, he keeps building the ark. What are you doing, Noah? Noah is proclaiming to turn. Noah is proclaiming the goodness of God. God does not want to wipe out the world. God wants to tell the world to turn their lives around and follow his goodness, his greatness, his love, his way, and have fellowship and have a new heart. And Peter grabs it beautifully under the inspiration of the power of the Holy Spirit. They formerly did not obey, and when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, God waited. And while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And what we understand from this is that even in the days before the floods came, and of course the flood story is the most ancient of all stories. It's, it's in most cultures in the world. It is the most fascinating thing about this flood story. Right the way back to the very first writings of human beings with the Gilgamesh narrative talks about a flood and an ark narrative in ancient um, Mesopotamia, going beyond ancient in Mesopotamia. These narratives exist is that as, 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 as Noah worked on this, basically the ark was a massive message to the world to get your heart right with God. God is always telling everybody to get right. He's always communicating his goodness. He's always communicating his love right back in these days. Ezekiel, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. I love that, the way it's poetically, prophetically constructed. Turn, turn. It's like Bonnie Tyler could sing that. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I take no pleasure. I don't want this to happen. What I want is you to turn. And I have to say, I don't know where you're at in your life or online. 
But if you're living with a dark heart, if you know evil is ruling your life, if you know sin is ruling your life, first of all, know that God wants fellowship with you. And when you have fellowship with God, even when you die, you will live forever. Secondly, I want to tell you that if you need to turn, that it's about your heart and God wants to renew your heart. And thirdly, I want to tell you is that God is holding back the worst so that you can get yourself together. So that God is always looking for people to repent, to get right, to turn. And we must keep believing for this. (laughs) Jonah, isn't this the example of the most miserable preacher you could ever meet? Nineveh, 120,000 people that don't know their left hands from their right. Sometimes I don't, and I have to go L, left. But they don't know, 120,000, and what's taking place 120,000, the Lord said, I want you to go and tell them that judgment is coming. And Jonah's upset because, no, don't go and tell them that judgment is coming. Just judge them. Just get rid of them. Just, Just do a Thanos. Just do it right now. That was a marvel um, from a biblical source. <laughs> no. For those of you that are into Marvel movies, which is probably just a few guys here. Uh, But, and all the teenagers are uh, asleep because they've been at camp. But just get rid of them. Just sort them out. Because, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry and he prayed to the Lord. What a prayer. Oh Lord, oh Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country. That is why I made a hasty flee to Tarish. For I knew that you are gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. You are just an awesome God, and you just want to forgive everybody, and I don't like it. So I think often you look at the Old Testament and say God's all about judgment. I tell you the Old Testament is part of the whole Testament that shows the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Even the laws are an act of mercy. They're an act of grace because they explain to an ancient world how they can commune with the living God. So God uses evil for his higher purposes. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Even there we have to come to the cross because we know that the crusher is coming. We know that the seed of the woman will arrive. We know that the promised king that lives eternally through the line of David will come. And we know that God is merciful and wanted to preach to the pre-flood period. That wanted to preach to all periods and wanted to hold back evil so that men and women could commune with God. 
and God delivered us from evil at the cross. He delivered it. It was at the cross. If you want to understand the immensity of evil, then the whole of evil was turned upon Jesus Christ at the cross. You see, man's heart are broken. And if we're going to deal with sin in the world, then every human being should be annihilated because we are all broken. But God's heart was to deal with the cross. And how did he do this? He sent somebody who was blameless. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become righteousness of God. When we understand that actually it's not, it's about God hasn't took, God took evil and he defeated evil on the cross. Defeated it. He moved and the way that he did it was to bring somebody in the world that didn't have a corrupt heart or a broken heart or a sinful heart, but brought somebody who was blameless and purpose. And that somebody took the sins of the world upon himself to break the power of evil in the world. See, God hasn't taken evil out of the world yet. But God has broken the power of evil within my life because of Jesus Christ. God has not done what we want him to do, which one day he will do, is to take all evil from this planet and bring his judgment. But actually what God has done through the cross, he has enabled me, which it is amazing that in my corruptness, in my brokenness, in my darkness, through Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven and I can have a brand new heart because when Christ said it was finished, it was finished and the third day he rose again. He was perfect in this way. Don't we know the story that from the Gospels that when people looked at him, the crowds looked at Jesus and they saw that he was blameless. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the guards came to arrest him, but they knew that he was blameless. Judas went and hung himself because he said, I've condemned an innocent man because he's blameless. Pilate, literally, Pilate's wife had a dream and said, don't mess with this man because in the dream he was blameless. But Pilate himself washed his hands because he understood that he was blameless. Herod said, I, I've got nothing really to say to you because you are blameless. The thief on the cross hung there, dying, looked at him and knew that he was without sin and blameless. The centurion fell on his knees and said, truly this is the Son of God. He is blameless. And all of Jerusalem grieved because they knew that an innocent man had died because he is blameless. He was perfect and so that he could deal sacrificially with the sins of the world so that you and I could be forgiven and you and I can be free and you and I can live a life that God meant us to live right at the beginning in the garden. That's what God does with evil. And God will judge evil in the end. There's a lot of writing there. 
But it's a great scripture. Because we know, again from Peter, who's brilliant. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of the waters and through the waters by the word of God. Isn't it amazing that the Apostle Peter understood the great big story? The grand story. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. What's it saying here? saying that God is holding off because he wants as many people to discover the goodness of God in the world. There will never be a flood, but there will be fire. But God's heart is that all should turn. All should turn. That a thousand years and a thousand years is a one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but what? That all should reach repentance. God does not want any to perish. God wants all to turn. And God is dealing with evil. And God has dealt with evil upon the cross by the blameless Son of God who gave his life. And you and I, you and I, are part of this new kingdom. You and I are forgiven. You and I are redeemed. You and I are children of God. Does that make you happy? And we're only week three into this series, but we're already we're jumping backwards and forwards and seeing what God is doing and the way God is working. So let's stand together as we finish. As we stand, let me remind you the mega themes. Because often when we deal with the great story of the biblical text, we want to be reminded. First of all, you and I, humanity, are designed to have fellowship with the living God. Don't break the fellowship, live in fellowship. Secondly, it's all about the heart. It's about who you are, the person you want to be, about the heart that is right, bracket your life at the beginning with the right heart and at the end of your life with the right heart. God is always holding off judgment. He's always willing to forgive and to save and to turn and to love and to rescue cities like Nineveh, cities like Kelowna, lives that are broken. And he even uses evil for his purposes, for what man meant for evil. God turned for good in the story of Joseph. Always working his plan, his great redemptive plan. 
and that redemptive plan to defeat the power of evil was that ability that through his death, evil can be defeated in your life, can be broken, can be forgiven, and hope can come. So why don't you get right with God? Why don't you give your life fully to God? Stop messing around with your life story and get into God's story. Stop pretending to read it and saying amens. It's time to live it to the beginning to the end. It's time to be a people that understand that it's all about Jesus. All about Jesus and his purpose, his plan. Father, we welcome the power of the Holy Spirit in these final moments. And as we've travelled from the ancient days of Genesis that we seem to squint as we read and look and try and understand, and yet the themes are so clear to the words of Peter and to the very end, to the new heavens and the new earth. We thank you that you did not create evil, you allowed it, but you allowed it so that we as your humans could truly know what it is to have fellowship with you, Lord. Renew our hearts now and bring us fully into the great story, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.